The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Tonight I want to go back to Mark, the 13th chapter, and hopefully finish up what we started this morning. Uh, I will take just a few minutes to review where we are and what we're doing here. Uh, We're at a point in uh, the public ministry of Jesus where he has been in the temple, he has seen what's going on in the temple, he has condemned what's happening in the temple, and he has cast out the thieves and the robbers, the money changers that were in the temple taking advantage of God's people. You know, the temple was not supposed to be a place of merchandise. The church of God is not supposed to be a place of merchandise. Last Sunday, I preached on giving and the widow that gave all that she had. And certainly, we are commanded to give to the work of the ministry. But there's a big difference in the biblical understanding and teaching of giving than what we see on most uh, television preacher programs today. I was watching a a documentary, a portion of a documentary about uh, not just one, but more than one of these uh, prosperity gospel preachers who, uh, who have asked their congregations and those watching to send them enough money to buy a million-dollar jet, and I should say a multi-million-dollar jet. One of them even made the statement that if Jesus were here in person today, he'd use a jet to get around and preach the gospel. And I call that blasphemy. I call that unbiblical. And I believe that we all understand that here. I, I certainly understand, as I said, that we should be giving to the church, but I hope we set that forth in the right context and in the proper biblical way last week. But Jesus has been, has been uh, in the temple. He has condemned the things that are going on in the temple. And as he's leaving the temple, his disciples look around at the temple and say, Wow, what an amazing building it is. And it was an amazing building, Brother Mackey. It was an amazing building. It, was, it was, had been renovated by Herod. It had been upgraded, if you will. And it was, the, it was the prize of the Jewish nation. But the problem was is that the place that was supposed to be called a, a place of all nations, the house of prayer, had become a den of thieves and robbers. And it had gotten their focus, they had gotten their focus off of the true worship of God, and they had begun to uh, expect that the Messiah, for example, was going to come as a great war leader. (laughs) And instead, he was born as a babe laying in a manger. We talked about this morning about as they left, Jesus told them, you see this great buildings? There's not going to be one stone left on another that shall not be thrown down. And, and we looked at the historical account of the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and how that when that gold melted and got down into the crevices and the cracks of the stones, the Roman soldiers tore them down stone by stone to get to the, to the gold that had melted in there. You know, Jesus wasn't lying. Jesus was absolutely correct in what he said was going to happen. But we saw that it wasn't only Jesus' purpose here in chapter 13 to preach about Uh, to to preach to them about the last days of the temple and the temple worship, but it was his purpose to share with them some insights as to the last days of the earth, the last days that were coming. And we talked about that term, last days, that last days 
we're told in Acts chapter 2, is now. <laughs> it was already there when Peter was preaching there in the day of Pentecost. He, he quotes Joel, the second chapter, beginning in verse 28, for that proposition. And, and they, you know, they were looking for some great cataclysm at the end of time. Well, beloved, uh, the last days are here and now. We are living in the last days, and we have been living in the last days since Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So what we're reading about today is very relevant to us and has been relevant throughout the 2,000 years that we call the church age. And so Jesus tells them about the last days of the earth, and he tells them, and I know you notice, I want to go back and reemphasize something. It says in verse 3 that Peter and James and John asked him privately about these things. And Jesus answered them privately. He, he was talking to them when he was telling them these things. Beloved, if I know I know many preachers, and I know uh, many public ministers that are out there on television that have built their entire ministry on some detailed prophetic pronouncements about what's coming, about the rebuilding of the temple, about, um, about the regathering of the nation of Israel. All those things are interesting, and all those things may be relevant to things that are coming in the end of times. But I'll tell you, beloved, any preacher who builds his public ministry on some kind of detailed prophetic pronouncement about the end of time is making a mistake. Everyone I know of that has done that has ended up in the ditch on that and has quit preaching what we're supposed to be preaching, which is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus is talking privately about them, and he begins to tell them how to act as these last days play out, as this church age plays out and ultimately winds down. And no, my purpose this morning, nor my purpose tonight, neither time is it to set a date. <laughs> Neither time is it to set a date because guess what? I don't know the date. In fact, Jesus said he himself didn't know the date. Only the Father, which was in heaven, knew that date. Jesus said the Father knows, so when you see somebody setting a date, you can forget about that date. You know, if you're worried, which you shouldn't be, if you're worried about the Lord coming back and somebody says, hey, he's coming back on March 15th, 2021, you can probably rest easy that day. <laughs> because he's probably not coming back that day. No, I kid about that, because we need to be ready at all times. He could, but it's not because some man set the date. So we talk, started talking about this morning, about the, the instructions that Jesus is giving to his disciples about how to, how to deal with last days, the end times. And the first thing he said is, do not be deceived about my second coming. He says in verse 5, Take heed, lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You know that's true. There was a group of people that moved all that they had, they gave all they had to this particular church, and picked up and moved to a place called Jonestown in Guyana, and ultimately drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid because they believed that the man that they were, they were worshiping was Jesus Christ, a man named Jim Jones, who was nothing but a cult leader and a liar, and a, ultimately a mass murderer. But how deceived they were. You know, it takes a lot. Think about it. Think about if you were to decide to just pick up everything you own and move to a foreign country. It would take a lot of devotion. You'd have to be very deceived to do that, wouldn't you? I would. There's a lot of people that are deceived by other people that are going to say, I'm the Christ, or here's the Christ, or there's the Christ. 
And then he talks about the events that will happen, the wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation. Events will deceive you if you're not careful. You'll look around and say, oh, look at what's happening. This must be a harbinger of the Lord's return. But events are not what we're to look at. We're, to, we're, to be, we're going to read in a minute that we're to be watchful and we're to be paying attention to what's going on, but we're not supposed to be deceived by all these things. And then he says to take heed to yourselves while you wait for my second coming. Take heed to yourselves while you're waiting on me to come back. In verse 9, he says, take heed to yourselves, for they're going to deliver you to councils. They're going to deliver you to, 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 to places where you'll be beaten. And he also says, during all of this, the gospel must first be published among all nations. You know, even in the midst of all the tribulations, the gospel needs to continue to be preached. That's why if they came and shut down the, the doors, shut down this church, we'd have a duty to continue to preach. Maybe we can't do it in here. Maybe we have to get on the street corners. Maybe we have to hide in dens and caves. But we ought to publicly preach the gospel. We ought to share it with those around us. And he says, don't worry about it. You know, somebody might say, you know, some of, I know I, know I talk to some of you from time to time, and you say things to me like, well, I just can't hardly speak it. I can't hardly tell it. Well, you ought to be studying. You ought to be prepared and willing to say what you can. But when the time comes and they drag you before the magistrates, don't worry about it. He says right here, the Holy Ghost is going to help you. I promise you when you're tried for your faith, if you're being faithful, if you're looking to the Lord, if you've been studying the Word, the Lord will give you the words that you need. Now that doesn't mean that as a preacher I can quit studying and just stand up here and say, okay, Lord. You know, I remember the tales of some of the old primitive Baptist preachers that would put their hand behind their ear when they're standing back here behind the pulpit listening for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> to tell them what to preach. And I know of some preachers that would get up and start trying to preach, and they say, well, I just, Lord isn't giving me anything today. And they'd sit down after five or ten minutes. Well, the reason the Lord isn't giving them anything is probably because they hadn't studied anything. <laughs> you know, we got a duty. I don't, I don't come in here to, to preach to you with no preparation. In fact, it takes hours of preparation. I know, it, I know that uh, when I began uh, to realize the Lord was calling me to preach. And I began to talk to my brother about it. And, um, and I said, you know, I just feel like I'm being, I'm being called by the Lord to preach. And I had all kinds of excuses that I won't go into. But uh, well, one thing he told me that I never forgot, he said, just remember that preaching is just the tip of the iceberg. Being a preacher is different than preaching. Being a pastor particularly is different than preaching. And he said, the Sunday morning and Sunday evening or whenever the church is meeting, that's, that's sort of the fun part, if you will. That's the time when you get to, you get to stand up, and, and if the Lord's with you, it's, it feels good to be the conduit of the Lord speaking to his people. It feels wonderful when the Lord is up here. Now, it's a very lonely place when I'm up here and the Lord's not with me. But it's a very blessed place and a very blessed time when I can stand up here and preach in power and demonstration of the Spirit. And I have felt Him with me many times. And whether, whether it was evident or not to the congregation, I could feel Him sustaining me up here. But that's just the tip of the iceberg because, uh, I, you know, and I, I don't say this to lift me up or any other preacher. I just say to you that it takes hours of study. It doesn't take just getting up on Sunday morning and saying, oh, I think I'll preach about this. 
It takes a lot of study. And sometimes I do have my mind changed about what I prepared to preach. I may have spent several hours uh, preparing to preach a certain sermon, and the Lord changed my mind on Sunday morning, but He's never yet led me to preach something that I hadn't studied. He's never yet led me to preach on a verse that I'd never read. <laughs> you see, preachers need to prepare. By the way, congregation members need to prepare as well. You know, there's no better sermon that I can preach than one you've been studying already on your own. How many times have I talked to people that they'll come up to me and say, Brother Chris, I was reading that verse just this week, and, and, and the Lord led you to preach on it. And that's a blessing, you know. That's a wonderful thing. But he says there's going to be trouble. There's going to be family problems. There's going to be families that will, lead, that, that will deliver each other up to death over this. But you don't need to be deceived. You need to take heed. You need to be careful. You need to be watchful because it's going to happen. And then we had finished up talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is contained primarily, I believe, is talked about in between verses 14 through about 23. Now, I want to say this about that, and may, I think I corrected it this morning or made it clear this morning. If I didn't, I want to correct it and make it clear now that while I believe this is talking directly and immediately about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, I do not believe that the destruction of Jerusalem is all that's under consideration here. And by the way, just for the record, in case someone might be listening to this sometime down the road, there's a teaching out there that says that the Lord came back in A.D. 70, <laughs> that his return was in A.D. 70. I do not believe that. <laughs> Absolutely do not believe it. The Bible is clear that there were those in Paul's day that said the resurrection has passed already. Beloved, we're going to see the resurrection's coming, and you're going to know it. Nobody's going to be questioning. If somebody says, you know, I wonder if the Lord came back in A.D. 70, he didn't. Because if you've got to wonder about it, then he didn't. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But we talked about the fact that this terrible destruction was coming upon Jerusalem. And it did come upon Jerusalem. But Jesus said in verse 23, Take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. And I, I like that. And I just want to reemphasize it as we get ready to move forward tonight. That's just like a doctor telling you, Okay, we're going into surgery, but here's what you can expect. Or you've got a sickness. You've got maybe, you know, I had a little issue with my neck here a while back where I had some lymph nodes swollen up and got really nervous about it, got really uptight about it. But once I went to the doctor, he said, okay, yeah, this is what it is, and this is how it's going to progress, and, and it's going to stay there for a while. But, you know, I kept, I kept thinking it hadn't gone down. It hadn't, it hadn't uh, receded yet. But I remembered that the doctor said, you know, it's going to be there a while. And it's going to take a while to get better. And you're going to experience this and you're going to experience that. And you know what? I took comfort from that because I knew that this wasn't out of the ordinary. I'll tell you, beloved, this pandemic is out of the ordinary in my experience. The politics that we've experienced over the past several years is out of my, out of my uh, understanding. It's not something I've ever had to deal with before. But the Lord says, don't be upset about it. Just keep watching because I've told you this is coming. You know, Paul says over in Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. You know, perilous times get me upset. <laughs> but it sure does help me when my father, when my elder brother has told me, you know what, they're coming. Just be ready. They're coming. It's the things that hit me unawares, the things that hit me by surprise that get me all out of whack, <laughs> that mess me up. But he said, 
in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will become lovers of their own selves. And what are we seeing in the world today? Jesus said, I have foretold you all these things. You know, if he hadn't told us these, we might be thinking, well, is the Lord out of control? Has the Lord lost control of this universe? Because things just seem to be so topsy-turvy right now. But, you know, he said, we're going to have tribulation in the world. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He's telling us how to deal with this. So, now that brings us to verse 24. I want you to, I want you to read it with me here. But in those days, after that tribulation, we'll come back to that in a minute. The sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Let's look here, look, look here at, this, at this account of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the first things we need to understand is that you will know it when Jesus returns. There is not going to be some secret rapture. There's not going to be some secret coming of the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 26. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. It's not going to be a whisper campaign. It's not going to be a secret return. He's coming back to gather his children home. And notice that he says in verse 24, it's in those days after that tribulation. So what days in those last days? What's those last days? Well, we've seen already this morning we talked about the last days or these days. This time that began with the day of Pentecost and before actually. Actually the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And going forward, you see, we're still in those last days. Peter himself told us that, that the prophet, you know, I read the prophet Joel and it sounds like something, uh, you know, apocalyptic that's coming way down the road and, and you know, but he's, he's telling us these are these last days. This is what is being talked about by Joel. And it says in those days after that tribulation, by the way, let me just stop here and say that's where some get the idea that Jesus returned in AD 70 because I believe the verses 14 and forward is a reference immediately to that, to that immediate imminent thing that's about to happen. But you see, you notice down in verse 30, he says, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. I believe what he's referring to there is this generation of scoffers, this generation of persecutors, this generation of those that are, uh, that are uh, of the type that will bring God's children before the synagogues and beat them and will bring them before the magistrates and have them executed. He said, they're always going to be with you. 
They're going to continue to be with you. And in, in the, these days after that tribulation, after the tribulation that is beginning in a sense in the times of Jesus, it did begin in the time of Jesus and right after and was certainly going on during the time that Paul was martyred and ultimately was really made uh, manifest in the time when Jerusalem was destroyed. In those days, there, those tribulations that begin sort of began there and continued down through the ages of time. That's going to keep on going until I return. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be worried. Don't be uptight because of all of this. And he says, then, and by the way, <clears throat> in verses 24 and 25, he kind of gives us a, a little preview of what's going to happen in the end of days. He says, the sun will be darkened. The moon won't give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. I hadn't seen that happen yet. We don't read any account in history of that happening yet. That's another reason I don't believe the Lord has returned yet. And I believe that it's a stretch, and it's totally out of Scripture to try to argue that he came back at some previous time. There are those that say that the resurrection is past already. Peter tells us about that. But I tell you what, beloved, or Paul tells us about that. I tell you what, beloved, he calls it an error. <laughs> and then shall they see the Son of Man coming. Beloved, there's a time when he's coming back. Everyone will know. Don't be deceived by any other reports. You know, Matthew, over in Matthew, the 24th chapter, he's telling us it, this is an account of the same event here, the same teaching of Jesus. And in 20, chapter 24 of Matthew, in verse uh, 26, he says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. If somebody comes to you and says, Jesus has come back, or there's another Jesus here, he's come back to the earth. Maybe it's not the resurrection, but he's come back to the earth. As some say, the Reverend Sun Young, Young Moon and the uh, Jim Joneses and the David Koresh's of the world, if they say, oh, he's over here and it's a secret thing, he's holed up in Waco, Texas. <laughs> he's, he's holed up over there in some compound. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't you go, don't you make a trek somewhere to try to see if somebody's Jesus. You've already been told he's not. He says, believe it not. Now listen, verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know what happens when the lightning lights up the sky? Have you ever seen that? I've seen it where the light, this is not just a little single strike of lightning. This is one of those lightnings that, uh, events that, that covers the whole sky. You ever seen that up in the clouds where it doesn't even necessarily hit the earth? It just, it's just see, you see streaks of lightning, just like a, like a fireworks display across the sky. And it's going from the east to the west. Notice not from the north to the south. If you went north to south, there might be some people that didn't see it. But you know, you can start east and never quit. <laughs> if you ever start going east, you'll never quit. You'll never get west. If you start going west, you'll never get east. You know, you might get to the same place. <laughs> But he's saying that this lightning is going both ways, covering the whole earth. It's not a secret event. You will know when I return. And oh, beloved, he won't be a babe in a manger this time. He won't be a babe in a manger this time. You know, his first coming, in a sense, was a little bit of a secret. Not really. They should have known. They should have been paying attention. They should have read prophecy the way it was intended to be read. But his first coming... 
It took a star to guide the wise men to where he was. This time, there'll be lightning that'll tell everyone where he is. Everyone. And his second coming is going to be something unlike anything this world has ever seen. In Revelation chapter 19, in verse 11, listen to this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? <laughs> Let me just tell you a little secret. It is Jesus. <laughs> this is Jesus here in his glory. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> Praise God, the second time he comes, he's going to be coming not as a baby weeping in a manger, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All those that see him will know him. When he comes back, they will understand that he is the God of all the universe, and every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Even the reprobate who know him not will bow their knee unto him. <clears throat> In verse 28, he says, he begins giving us a parable of a fig tree. So, so you say, what are we to do with this information? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to build a public ministry on it? Are we supposed to use up all of our time and energy searching the internet for clues about when Jesus is coming back? Are we supposed to focus upon uh, all of these signs and these wonders and try to figure out when one falls into place and when another falls into place? You know, this morning we also said that prophecy is always best interpreted in hindsight. What are we to do? Well, he gave us this parable of the fig tree. He says, look, when, when the branch is tender, you know, that, you know that summer's coming. You see it coming. Now, I was down there cutting grass um, a little bit this, yesterday. I've got three fig trees. On one of those limbs on the fig tree, there's a little, a little leaf, a little green leaf budding. Uh, last year, I had the same experience. I had a bunch of dead limbs. <laughs> a bunch of them died. I don't know what happened, but a bunch of them came up. And I could tell once the green leaves started coming that we were going to have figs, that summer was near. The spring had come and the summer was near, and we were going to have some figs. Do you know what I didn't know? You know what I had to do? I had to keep going back to check because I didn't know the day that the fig was going to be ripe. I even saw the figs come out, and they were but they're still too green, and I'd go back and check. You know, if I had known, oh, on this day is when the figs are going to be ripe for picking and for eating. I could have just laid around the house and stayed away and not worried about it until that day came. 
Here's what he's saying to us. He's not saying to us that we can look at these things that are coming, that are, that are these events that are happening, and know the day that the Lord is coming. But when we see these things happening, which they do all the time in our lives, we've especially experienced it lately, we ought to be getting our mindset towards the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is not, you know, if nothing else, we're one day closer today than we were yesterday to the Lord's return. If nothing else, we're one minute closer than we were a minute ago to the Lord's return. I like to think about it that the Lord might come back before I get through preaching tonight. I hope he comes back at about seven, 6 o'clock because we're about 5 minutes away from 6. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? What if he were coming back at 6 o'clock tonight? I don't know if I'd keep preaching. I think I'd just be shouting. I don't know what I'd be doing if I knew he were coming back. But I don't know he's coming back. But boy, I suspect he might. Because the things that are happening in the world around me, like this fig tree blooming, makes me think that everything is shaping up for the Lord to come back. And that leads us to our last thing here that the Lord told us. What are we to be doing? We are to take heed, verse 33, and watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. If I knew when the figs were going to be ripe, I'd have just waited till then to go down there and pay any attention to the fig tree. But I didn't. I had to keep watching it because I didn't want the, uh, the birds to eat up the figs. I didn't want to stay away for three weeks and come back and find all the figs were gone. Beloved, that's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ's return. We don't need to ignore it. We don't need to be oblivious to it. We need to pay attention to it. We need to be focused upon it because he could come back at any minute. We don't need to be setting times. We don't need to be uh, selling all our goods and going moving off to the desert and building a compound and trying to all live together and forget about the world. You need to keep on keeping on. You need to keep on being diligent as we're going to see. You need to keep on serving him as we'll see. But beloved, we need to pay attention to it and not be ignorant of the fact that the Lord is soon coming back. Notice what he said, verse 33. Take ye heed. That literally means to keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Stay awake. Don't go to sleep. And that's what watch means as well. It's a different Greek word there. It says take he heed watch. That means don't go to sleep on the job. Stay awake and pray. We know what that means. Continually seek the Lord and seek His blessing. In fact, James tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's fervent prayer that the Lord wants. I'll tell you, beloved, this weekend I've been engaged in fervent prayer because I felt myself to be out of line with the Lord. I felt the, uh, the, the world to be out of line with the Lord. I felt oppression. I felt burdens. And I've been in fervent prayer this weekend. And I'll tell you, beloved, praise God for fervent prayer. Because it sure does bring you back into a close, closer relationship with the Lord. <laughs> he says, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. The porter is the doorman. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Something else about watching for the Lord. In this parable of the doorkeeper here, the parable of the porter, uh, this doesn't mean just to be on guard and just kind of watching out. 
It means to be diligent and to be watchful. This isn't a lookout. <laughs> this isn't a lookout. This isn't like a, like a lookout for a bank robber. It says, hey, he's coming. That's not what it's about. This is one who's diligently looking for him to come, expectantly waiting for him to come, hoping he will come, and in the meantime being diligent to guard the household. Being diligent to take care, to, to, to make sure nothing bad creeps in and nothing in error creeps in, but he's trying to diligently, diligently watch for his, his master. You see, one of the things we need to remember is that when he says watch, he's not saying watch out. <laughs> you know, so many times in so many places in the world, the teaching is, is a fear. It's a fear. If the Lord was to come back right now and you hadn't made things right with him, oh, you might die and go to hell. See, that's not the good news, beloved. That's bad news. That's scare tactics. <laughs> i tell you what the good news is. The good news is not that you better be careful. The Lord might come back and you might not be right with him and you might end up going to hell. The, 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 the good news is, is that he died for you. He loved you before the foundation of the world, and He's not going to leave you here, beloved. I don't care what problems you have in this world. I don't care what struggles with sin that's around you or struggles that's with sin that's within you. Beloved, He's coming back to take you home to be with Him. That's good news. <laughs> that's one of the problems I have with the teachings of the world today. It's not good news. The gospel of the denominational world focuses upon the sinner and what the sinner must do. Beloved, the true gospel focuses upon the Savior and what He has done and what He's going to do when He comes back to get you. You see, our watching should not be in fear. We should be in awe and fearing God in the reverential way, but it shouldn't be in, oh, I hope I can get away with this before the Lord comes back or I hope I'm, uh, He doesn't come back. You know, have you ever been there where you say, oh, I hope the Lord doesn't come back right now? <laughs> If you're saying that, you need to quit what you're doing. I'll tell you, beloved, you need to change, shape up a little bit because I want the Lord. There may be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. There may be some tears. And when the Lord comes back, if I, if I may be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of where I am when the Lord comes back. What if the Lord comes back? You know, I, I know y'all can't believe this, but occasionally I get up on the wrong side of the bed. Don't say anything, Mason. You keep your mouth shut. I don't hear any amens out of my children. <laughs> Ashley's back there look, giving me the glare. Occasionally, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Had a day like that recently where I just felt ill all day. And, and being human as I am and not perfect as I should be, Many of the responses I gave to all my children and my wife were short, and they were cross, and they were just not in a loving spirit. You know, uh, my wife and I don't fuss very much at all, but occasionally in our marriage, we've, we've argued a little bit. Um, most of the time, I was the one that was wrong. <laughs> Even when I was right, Brother Glennon, I was wrong. Because I, I was in the wrong spirit. <laughs> what if the Lord came back in the midst of my fussing at my wife or children? Or occasionally, I've had a, I've had I can I don't even want to go into it, but I've had a few times when in my job I would 
be on the phone with someone. I remember being on the phone one time with the UPS guy uh, who was a supervisor and wouldn't allow our undercover agents to go work, you know, deliver some drugs that had been mailed and so forth. It was just a, a, a situation where it really infuriated me that he wouldn't help out law enforcement. So you know what I did? I jumped all over that man. That poor guy that was following company policy, I jumped all over him. I was so, so bad that I had to call him back a few minutes later and apologize to him, Brother Mackey. I called him back and said, listen, I'm so sorry. I was so wrong. But what if the Lord had come back in the midst of me fussing at that guy? Boy, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been very proud of myself, would I? You see, it's not... That's, that's one sense. If there's, nothing, if there's no other sense in which you can be thinking about the Lord coming back, let it help you not engage in habitual sin, okay? But that's not the way that we're, we're to be looking for the Lord to come back. He's not talking about looking for him to come back in dread or in fear or in worry or in anything like that. This is not the gospel. The good news is not about fear or worry or, or, or dread. It's about love and glory and, and, and grace. And it's about the Lord coming back who loves us. The one, it's like your father. I've heard the stories about, uh, about, the, uh, uh, about these men who were gone in the Civil War days. And they were gone for years at a time. And the only way they had to get home from the fighting when the war was over was to walk. And, and the idea of this one coming back, this father coming back to a home, uh, to a wife and children, and, and she looks up and she sees him walking down the road and she realizes who he is. And instead of running and hiding in fear, she leaps for joy and she runs to him and she, and she takes him in, in, in her arms and they're reunited, the one that she loves the most in this world. Beloved, that's the kind of watching that we're to have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he's, our, he's the one who loves us more than anyone in this world loves us. And he says, take heed, watch, and pray. For you know not when the time is. I, there was a time when I kept thinking, Lord, just don't come back yet. I'm just not quite ready yet. I've repented of that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm ready for him to come back. I'm ready for him to come. I'm ready to see the one that I've never seen in person. I'm ready to see the one who loved me before the foundation of the world. And he says in verse 37 that this isn't just applicable to his disciples that are sitting there before him today, that day. He says, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, watch. I close tonight by telling again the same story I told this morning about Brother Oliver, because this ought to give us the right idea of how we ought to be thinking about the events that occur around us in the world. For those of you that were here, it'll be a repeat, but for those of you that weren't, um, there was a time about 25 years ago when we were at a, at a, a church of another order, uh, an independent Baptist church. I don't remember which one, but it was one of those in this area. And several men were standing outside talking after the service. And it was during the time that that David Koresh out in Waco, Texas, had, uh, had declared himself to be Jesus and had this cult following. And they were talking about how terrible it was, what a horrible thing that somebody would claim to be Jesus. And Brother Oliver piped up there at the end of their conversation. He said, well, I want to tell you, friends, I'm glad to hear it. And he looked at him like he was 
crazy. He said, what do you mean you're glad to hear it? He said, I'm glad to hear it. Because my Bible says when they start saying, lo, here is Christ, or lo, there is Christ, he's a fixing to come back. <laughs> so that's how we should be looking at this. We shouldn't be glad to see. And he didn't mean he was glad that men were doing that. He didn't mean he was glorying in sin. But what he was saying was, hey, Jesus has already told us what's going to happen. He told us ahead of time that it's going to be like this. And so rather than going uh, crazy and losing our minds in fear, we ought to be looking at these things and saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, there it is. That's what Jesus said. He said a war would happen. He said, uh, he said famines and he said pestilence would happen. He said, that, uh, he said that men would say they're Christ or lo, here is Christ or lo, there is Christ. That ought to make our hearts skip a beat. Not that they're doing that, but that the Lord told us they would and that now we're getting close than ever before to our elder brother coming back in the clouds to take us home to be with him and to deliver up the kingdom to the Father and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We can glory in that. Let's go out this week and, and let's remember that the resurrection is real. Let's live our lives as if we're five minutes from the resurrection. That would change a lot in our lives, wouldn't it? That would change a lot of the way we think about things and the way we deal with things. I know it would in my life. Praise God. Watch and wait. He is coming back. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.